Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life. Pretty excited today because I'll be joined uh, by a good friend of mine, Chris Paget. I'm really excited to have you, Chris, because um, and I, I, I want to remind you that I don't, I've talked to you about this before, and we always laugh about it. Yeah, I don't know if you laugh about it, but you always say thanks for reminding me. But you were my first Steubenville men's speaker. Oh. Way back when. Um, I'm like two years old, so that was probably like yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, where but was that? That was at main campus. Ah. And um, so you were my first Steubenville men's speaker. And then uh, fast forward a few years, and I'm just kind of starting to work in ministry and you moved into town here in the Syracuse Diocese, helped you. I got called to help move all of your books. You can see if you, I mean, I'm going to have some clips of you, but uh, there's some, there's some books behind you. I can see it. The people who are listening can't see it, but there are, there are many books behind you. And I know that there are many books in your house because I helped unload them from that U-Haul, the biggest U-Haul you could ever have. And most books right that's correct in fact um when you looked at that u-haul i'm pretty sure that the axle had reached a maximum capacity we were almost a low rider at that point but in fact the hardest nails group um was called in as well i mean there were tons of people and that was for many of them their first experience uh with me and i'm surprised that any of them are still my friends because it was brutal <laughs> It was a long day. We were just, I mean, we unloaded the furniture and all that was easy. Yeah. And it was just books for a long time. Well, and I would not be surprised. I don't even think this is an exaggeration to say it's quite possibly doubled in size. So right I now believe- my daughter counted and um, at some point, and this is, this was a while ago, there were over 20,000 books here. So like it's an official real life library. Now it's not as organized as a real life library, but I, I do have a little bit of a method to my madness. So I kind of know where most everything is, um, which is a weird thing, but um, yeah, I, I have a problem. And Linda said it's gone to another level. I'm pretty out of control. This has been a tough year for me when it comes to books. Lent will be helpful. So you give up books for Lent? I did. Well, let me rephrase this. Last year, I gave up um, buying books online, like Kindle. So I was allowed. I I said to myself, I'm allowed to get a book at a bookstore, which because I don't get a chance to go to as many in-person stores as you would think. And then... um, I could order a book and have it mailed in via like Amazon if I wanted to, but I, it was, it was really just like, let's curb one of the major avenues, um, arteries, uh, you know, of, of tragic, you know, financial ruin. And so I did that, but I gave myself the Easter Sunday. I mean, it's such a freaking game, isn't it? Like sometimes our Lenten like uh, sufferings that we choose are really not sufferings. We're just tolerating until we give ourselves this, you know, respite. In the end, just relapse at the end. It's just like (laughs) I know a million books after that. It was like I know, and that's the problem is that like I have this list then that is out of control. 
So I think I'm going to do it again this year, but I might I might have to put stronger parameters and barriers down. I don't know though. I mean, it's hard. It's that's, hard. That's amazing. Yeah, I um I I really relate to you on the love of books. I have I have not as many books as you, but I have quite a few books, and I like books a lot. And then you're right. The Kindle thing is terrible because you can just go click, and it's just instantly there. Oh, it's there immediately. Yeah. Oh, Instant gratification. That can't be good. So uh, I do think, though, that I had a good routine I was doing last year where I basically uh, would read in the morning and, and then um, – you know, so I was getting through some really pretty awesome classics and some books that were very helpful. I read most of Jacques Philippe's books last year yeah. and um, even some of his little devotional things. And I think I, I got to. Uh, He's really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love him. He's probably He's one of my all time favorites. Yeah. At Francis de Sales, I did the um, I did his. And uh, I don't know. I made that more of a retreat. Um so the long and the short, and I read a number, a couple of biographies, especially that really were were powerful. I read a lot of stuff on St. Francis and Claire and also on Father Capon out of uh, Kansas. So the long and the short of it is, you know, even though my, you know, book purchasing might be a little bit crazy, I do read a lot more books than most people, though, too. So, but I, I can't, I would have to be, um, I would have to live forever and ever and ever in space and time just to read what I have. Well, I couldn't believe it. I was, because that's the thing you got to ask whenever you see how many books you have, is how many of them do you read? And I, I oh. saw you posted your Goodreads the other day uh-huh. and I went on there and, and you've got 916 ratings. On Goodreads that you've done oh. is what it says. That's yeah, that might be right. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I'm pretty active on Goodreads, although I'm a lot more consistent on it now than I was back in the day. But long and the short of it is, yeah, I, I honestly, in fact, I, I started last night just skimming through a book, and I ended up realizing I think I'm going to end up finishing this book here just in a couple of days because it's so good. So that does happen to me a lot. I'll walk around the library and I'll I'll look at some stuff and all of a sudden something will catch my attention or I might be interested in an author. And what do you know? I have four other books by that particular author. And that's very helpful when, when it comes to research or study. Uh, but honestly, and you know, not to make myself sound super spiritual here, I have tons of books that have zero spiritual content. I mean, they're just, you know, for entertainment, mysteries or thrillers or <laughs> fantasy sci-fi like i like it all that's my problem that's why that's why my my little handle is bookaholic because yep. you know it's it's probably entered into the clinically diagnosable part of this this journey <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome no i i love it i love that you have all those books and i think you're right in mean, bookaholic I, I i definitely think of you now with books and <laughs> so that's pretty great um, so I, you know, I want to dive into your, your Catholic life and, and where, where did you find your Catholic faith? Um, I know, I think you and your wife converted, uh, was it in college down in Florida? And, uh, no, it was in Florida, Diocese of Venice, Easter of 1999. Okay. So I was, I was, I was an adult. I had three kids at the time and, uh, we entered, um, 
Uh, yeah, so it's 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 hard to imagine, but it's been whatever. What is that? Twenty three years ago, twenty four. The thing about it is, is that you know we were talking a little bit about books, but books were a huge part of my conversion story. So oddly, you know, uh, I don't I don't know if people, I don't know if I should say this. I'm not sure if people read as much now as they did back when I was younger. Partly because of just the platforms and the avenues right. of entertainment that that are available to people. But, you know, reading was such a big part of my life, even as a kid. So when I when I um, started this little journey of exploring what the Catholic Church believed, uh, there were two options. There was there was books and there was, um, you know, like St. Joseph Communications. I mean, honestly, there was EWTN, but I wasn't watching that. That's for sure. Right. So, um, and I had a friend of mine that was uh, a rep for St. Joseph Communi Communications. They. I think they sold their stuff to Lighthouse Catholic Media. And now Lighthouse, I think, is connected to, uh, in Denver, um, the Augustine Institute, maybe. Yeah. Long and the short of it is, when I first started kind of exploring their content, it was predominantly like, you know, Scott Hahn and Steve Ray and uh, Peter Kraft, maybe. Uh, I loved it, though. I, I would listen to all of these books on tape and, and not really books on tape, but more like kind of presentations that have been recorded. Right. And it was a huge part of like just opening the door for me on what Catholics believed and why they believed what they believed. And that obviously then led to some deeper study through through books. And one one particular story that I think is just so formative, we. Uh, this is a I don't want to get lost in this, but we started doing some I was in a band. And yep. we started doing music in Florida, which is where we were living. And uh, we got a little popular and we started getting outside of Florida. And I ended up, I was the booking agent for our band. I got us a gig in New Mexico, the Diocese of Gallup, New Mexico. Now, we were not Catholic at this time. We just came in and did like the Youth Entertainment Day yeah. a concert or something. Well, we got asked to do this event and we drove from Florida to Gallup, New Mexico. It took days and days just to get through Texas. And along that journey, we stopped somewhere that had like a convent or something that had access to a library. And I started reading kind of more seriously some books by Henry now. And a friend of mine started reading GK Chesterton and Thomas Merton. And we just started talking about the things that we were reading. And I remember thinking to myself, this is crazy, like how rich and deep this stuff is. When we got to New Mexico, I met a lady who was a convert to Catholicism. And she gave me the book Catholicism and Fundamentalism by Carl Keating, who started and spearheaded Catholic Answers. Well, I remember reading that book and I was so aware of the topics, uh, you know, that he, that he was discussing and the ministries he was, uh, re referring to like Jimmy Swaggart, an example, I was accepted to Jimmy Swaggart Bible college. Like I had been accepted to attend there. I didn't, yeah. but so he references him or chick publication tracks. We used to hand those out all the time and put them on cars, uh, while people were at mass or or in the occult books at bookstores, uh, uh, we would, uh, you know, street witness and share the, the faith with people and hand out tracts. Uh, he would mention uh, Keith Green and Last Days Ministries. And I, I intentionally went to Last Days Ministries because I was such a huge fan of Keith Green and read his book, No Compromise. And 
Um, he used to have almost, he wrote what would almost be like um, little uh, brochure pamphlets, not chick tracks. They were a little bit more in depth. And I, I, I would try to get every single one of those I could and read them. And long and the short of it was when I got to New Mexico, we were told, you know, you know, here's the day. And, and we got to this part where can you do the music for the mass? And I remember thinking, I, we don't really know how to do that, but I'm not going to tell her that it took so long to get there. Yeah, <laughs> I want to get paid and not thrown back to Florida without without doing what we came to do. Long yep. story, uh, long story short, she realized we weren't Catholic. And uh, the next day we did the event. We didn't do music for the mass. In fact, a deacon came up and said, during mass, you can't receive. And I was so frustrated. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking, why can't I receive? I'm probably more Catholic than most of these Catholics here. I've been listening to St. Joseph communication and reading these books. Yeah. And well, do you know who was at that event? Ew. Bob Walters. Are you serious? That's where this connection comes in from. It's unbelievable. I had no idea then. In fact, I don't think I found out until after I was here that Bob Walters was at that event. He was there doing some work. Uh, I don't know if it was with Ned or just there with the diocese, but he was at that event, remembers that event. It's such a surreal thing because that trip was hugely informative in my journey towards Catholicism because I read that book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, on the way home. I marked it up. I was so irritated and so pumped and so, you know, wondering what to do. By the time I remember, it was not long after that. By the time I got done with all of that, I thought I probably need to enter RCIA. And we and we entered the RCIA program there in um, Bradenton, Florida, and uh, went through that journey and became Catholic in Easter of 99. So, I mean, it was... Uh, you know, a long way to get there, but long story, you know, longer, apparently the, the, the role of, uh, of media and, and publications and just all of that was so formative and influential for me that I still gravitate towards that. It's kind of how I do my devotions and how I think and reflect and study. So it, it it's kind of cool. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> So you, so you said you were, you were working in this band, books and study really kind of led you into the faith. Um, and then from there you become Catholic. What, what was that process? Like you've made the decision, okay, I want to become Catholic now. What was that process like for you and for Linda? And, you know, what was it like once you entered into the church? Well, I, I definitely, well, first my introduction to faith was from my mother, uh, who really gravitated to the Christian faith after the divorce, um, that she had with my father. Yeah. So I was really taught a personal faith from a very young age. It it wasn't until I was an adult that I really had to kind of navigate through a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes about Catholicism. And the books helped that a lot. Although oddly, the books were also influential in reinforcing stereotypes and misconceptions because a lot of what I read was put out by Protestants who really had an antagonism towards Catholicism. And what's weird about it to me in some ways is that it, back then, and this is odd as I reflect on it, back then in the, uh, it would have been in the 90s, there was more of an antagonism from Protestantism towards Catholicism. So it was suspect. And and I, I that was something I had to take into consideration even when I started RCIA because we were in a nationally you know, known Christian band that was on a Protestant, you know, 
label playing and you know sending our songs in Christian radio or, around the country. There was really hardly any Catholics that were doing what what you know we were doing. But right. because we were in the system, they couldn't just throw us out. And we, for a little bit, were almost like a little bit of the token Catholics. It was us and John Michael Talbot and maybe Kathy Tricoli. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Matt Marr hadn't broken in yet. And uh, yeah, it's what it was. So we, you know, when I became uh, or entered the, the RCIA program, I knew that that was going to be a, a struggle. In fact, when we went to record the very first CD or album that we did the people who are our production folks and you know behind the scenes with the label they saw a bunch of books that i was reading which were like you know scott hans yeah. Sweet home and i'm being catholic by thomas howard and and they're like you know you're not really considering that are you and we, we had to leave the catholic church to enter into a relationship with jesus and i i just i'm not gonna have this argument with you right now but yeah so we entered that Catholic Church Easter in 99, I knew that the radio stations weren't going to be happening happy, and I knew parish or churches weren't going to be interested in us after we did that. But I just was so it was such a compulsion to 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 become Catholic. And then um my family was was uh my wife was very uh, educated and and read as well, and we talked a lot. So we entered in together. Uh, we were so convicted about it. We had our kids baptized before we became Catholic. Um, and uh, I'd already been baptized a few times. We'll just say that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so had Linda. Uh, but So we didn't have to have, you know, that. But we, we, we certainly weren't confirmed, hadn't been. And uh, so, you know, the co confirmation, of course, in the in the communion, uh, it was a it was a pretty remarkable life changing moment for us. And um, and really, it was a definitive change in the way that we looked at life. And I kind of determined that even if all we did was just played in Catholic churches for the rest of our life, it was good. You know, if that meant we had no label any longer and nobody wanted to hire us to come to the conf conferences and the music fest, that was OK. Because we were, we felt like, I felt like I was answering a call that, that Jesus had intentionally placed in my life, which was to become Catholic. And, you know, there's a, there's a number of people that we had in our band who were not Catholic, even after that. Um, they, we didn't insist that somebody be Catholic to be in our ministry, but they certainly had to be respectful for it. And they were going to be introduced to it in all forms and fashions as we traveled around the the country. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you said, it sounds like you, you really had like a desire to seek after truth during that time. Um, what, what, where do you think that root is rooted in your life? Like, where do you think this desire to just like seek out knowledge and to, to read these books? Like, where did that come from for you? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure why I'm so obsessed with, you know, learning and studying, but I, I, th I think there's a number of things that are at work here. One, it was certainly ingrained in me by my mother, you know, the importance of studying, knowing that faith. And there, I just think as a young kid, I, I had these experiences in faith that were very real. And I, I knew I wanted to, to know God and to serve him and to love him. I, I also recognized that, <laughs> my wife's out there doing some yard work. I also recognize though that um 
when I was younger, my best friends were super smart. They never had to study for anything. So if for me, it took a lot to basically, you know, get uh, decent grades. And, and I certainly wasn't a straight A student. Something happened, though, when I got to college, which was I realized, hey, wait a minute. I like this subject. And if I like the subject, then I somehow I do really well in that. And I realized I'm actually probably pretty smart. It just doesn't come immediately to me. I have to actually study and work hard at it. But once I do, it's good. Right. Um, of all the places. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I relate to that a lot. I mean, I'm the type of guy that I definitely didn't get good grades here. It was like up and down depending on the class. And it, but when I found like subjects I really desired to study, especially in, in college, it was like, you know, easy. That, that became easy. Right. And now, you know, going and I, you know, read all the time, you know, I can learn a lot of different things and just consume. I'm like a sponge and it's, I love doing that. So I relate yeah. to you on, on that a lot. So something too about just a good curiosity in the human experience. And I, I so I love stories. Uh, I love biographies and autobiographies. And I love, I just love how I'm super drawn to, to period time pieces. So just, you know, dropping me into the 1940s or 50s or, you know, during the American Revolution or uh, so I, I think there is something inside of me that's, that's curious about the way that people live and and that's helpful when it comes to my ministry, which is evangelization. I mean, I think evangelization is directly connected to obviously the response to the call of the Great Commission, but it's also directly connected to a compassion and a and a passion for the human person, an interest in their journey and their story, and a desire to share with them something that will help them to be fully and entirely, you know, human themselves. And so knowing uh, a, a variety of things about a variety of topics just opens doors for me, you know? And I love that. No, I, and I agree. Like I, and I see that in you too, Chris, I, I think like, you know, there are a lot of speakers in the world who, you know, they're all, a lot of them are really great. But when I, when I know, knowing you in comparison, you are someone who genuinely cares about the people who you encounter. And I really have experienced that with you a lot, you know, some guys will be like, just worried about how are they going to get, you, you know, me as a minister who works in the church, how am I going to get Nick to book me for a parish mission or whatever? And it's like, that's not how you're operating. It's just, how can I care about these people? Um, and I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah, that's really nice to hear. No, I re it, it's really true. So you made this transition then from you were doing the music thing and you enter in the church, start doing music in the church. And then how did speaking and writing come about? Well, I mean, honestly, most bands, you know, eventually break up. And I think because um, uh, just of the journey that we had had in my mind, I thought, even though we're slowing down as a band, I, I could see us still doing diocesan events for years and years and years and years, like almost I'm not I wasn't wanting to be the Rolling Stones of the Catholic market. But, I, you know, I kind of thought, why not? Yeah. But the the truth is, is that we, we you know, it, it is what it was. And I think that that's something I have a very extreme loyalty kind of issue where I'm really I want to bless people that have been kind to me. And I want to 
I don't know. I want to go out of my way to to <laughs> to really just show by my actions that I'm grateful. So I thought, you know, I'm gifted in booking. I'll just keep doing that. But the band, we we just were not in a healthy place. Probably, I, I really felt this desire to kind of start doing my own thing. I started asking, like, what do I love the most about the band? Of course, I love singing and recording. I love that, but. Yeah. And I love the band camaraderie and playing with a band is pretty amazing. That's a cool experience that, that, um, it, you know, something that you can't, it's, it's, it can be addictive, but, but I definitely like the, the personality clashes and the, and the direction, uh, that you wanted to go. I mean, knowing that everything was not one-sided and both myself and the other person, we, we were very strongly opinionated. And so I didn't know if I was really as good of a, <laughs> I didn't really think I was the kind of man uh, that I wanted to be in that band. And so it just seemed like a natural time and they felt it. All of them felt it as well. I think we're near the end. So we kind of stopped because I remember I had this real, I could book myself but most people knew me as a person who came with a band. So how do I explain to them? I'm not in a band anymore. I could do some music, but so it was really reinventing myself in a way. And uh, I partly, I just felt like God was leading me away. And because I have this real strong loyalty, I think that what happens is that the Lord sometimes has to push me almost not aggressively, but in a way that, that would make me have to recognize I, it's not the way it's been. I have to do something different now because yeah. what happened was we kind of, we were slated to play. Our band was slated to play in Atlanta at NCYC and I had it all lined up. And then because the band was slowing down and we were all kind of stopping this friend of mine in the band called and basically said, we're not really doing our thing anymore. Why don't you book my new band? Cause he created a new band, which I felt like this is literally the lyrics of like a Ben fold song, yeah. uh, Ben folds five, where he says basically his band broke up and started a new band with everyone without him. And <laughs> that was almost like literally what happened. Like it was the band except for me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they, and they came and they played there. And I was so hurt by that because I felt, I felt kind of betrayed and, but yet on a rational level, uh, there's, it, it is what it was. It, it is true. There was nothing about that. That wasn't true. We were weaning away and he was up and coming with it. So I get the rationale. It just hurt, you know? Yeah. And uh, I remember this friend of mine said, Chris, because I had come out with a solo CD and on it was like a song called golden, which was about the Eucharist. And on it was also a song called Mary's son. And uh, this friend of mine took me aside. He goes, Chris, are you scarecrow and tin men or are you Mary's son? And I think just for me at the time, it was a really helpful word that like God's doing something different in your life. Now scarecrow and tin men was great. God used that. Uh, but look where you are now and he's doing something different. So relax, let what's happening happen and and let God do what he's going to do in you. It was a hard moment, but it was a really good word. And so for me, that journey of transitioning into speaker uh, was a lot, you know, uh, uh, it was a kind of almost like I'm thrown now into the deep end. And a lot of this is this is how I live. And I got I got to do something and I want to do ministry. It's what I love. 
And that's what I was saying before is like when I thought about all the things I loved about doing the band, what I really loved was the ministry portion at the end. And I thought I'd like to spend my time doing ministry and telling stories. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody brought me in, not because it was a cool band, but because they wanted like God to do something in their life. And I I was going to be invited to be a part of that. So, so it really was an interesting kind of dynamic. And I think in some ways I used to do, I would hire a band to come in and I would do half of my sets would be music. And the other half would be like storytelling and ministry. Now, At some point, the same guy who told me that, uh, you know, that concert, you know, like that word, like, are you Maryson or are you Scarecrow and Timmon? He's the same guy who said to me for a Steubenville one day, he said, Chris, nobody's doing the band thing anymore. We're not doing that here so much anymore. So you don't need to bring a band. Just go out and do it yourself. And it was hard. Again, it was one of those. I would have kept doing business as usual because I'm very loyal. There's a group of guys I got I'm taking care of, but I'm thrown out now again in the deep end. It's like, okay. So I did half comedy and then the other half, the ministry. And all of a sudden everything just clicked in place for me. So I'm so grateful as I think about my journey in ministry, that kid in the middle of Southwest Florida, starting the band, doing this crazy life, being open to God, speaking to him, traveling around the country with no money, taking these steps of faith, saying yes to the possibility of a career ending decision, becoming Catholic, seeing God open up doors, a career ending decision, literally to stop doing the band and starting something different career ending to stop doing, you know, music and really do more storytelling ministry. I mean, it's amazing when I think back on what God's done and terrifying. You would think after this many different like changes that, oh, no big deal. But it is an unnerving thing because I am such a creature of habit. Yeah. (laughs) And talk to me about, um, you know, like you said, it is terrifying to do some of those things that you've gone through and that you've had the courage to do. Talk to me about like, what were the conversations like with Linda, your wife and your family? You know, you, how many kids do you have? Like nine? Ten? Yeah. How many, nine. Nine? Yeah. I mean, what is it like to be having to take the courage of just making these big leaps of faith to do these things? What are those conversations like? What What is that like? Well, uh, I mean, again, Linda's very, uh, she's a super smart, very, she's a very intelligent person. And She's not bowled over by anyone's opinion, you know, let alone mine. So we have an amazing, uh, very blessed relationship. I'm super thankful. And uh, so we talked a ton yeah. about about it. And uh, and honestly, she's not, I think that was my thing. I'll, I don't know if you are editing. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll. So the long and the short of it is that Linda and I, we spoke a lot and we talked a lot, especially about the conversion thing. I would come home and I'd process things that I was learning in these tapes and in these books. After trips, I'd come home and I'd say, here's conversations I had. And and she'd be reading as well and listening to some of these tapes. And we talk, we, we really just unpacked that together. So when we entered the Catholic church, we entered together and she didn't do it just because I did it. In fact, her rationale was, I want to, I'm going to make a decision to become Catholic. I'm going to do this and I want to do it in a way that if Chris were to ever pass away, I'm still Catholic. I don't, I don't want I'm not doing this just for him. Wow. And I love that and respect that so much about her. It was her choice. And she, uh, and I just pressed it out when it came to the ministry things. 
uh, one of the things that was in this early transition period, we were at a, uh, we were representing in uh, World Vision, which is a ministry to help people who are hungry. And I, I was on the this bus and I sit next to this guy and I was processing this idea. What do I do with my scarecrow and tinman, you know, life or this calling I'm feeling to go do my own thing. Yeah. And at one point he looked at me and this is what he said. It was, again, a very transformative moment. He said, you know, Chris, God, it's not a question of whether God's going to bless you or not. If you stay with scarecrow and Tim and he, he has blessed you and he would continue to bless you Yeah, because he's blessing you. It's you that he's blessing. Not, it's not the ministry. It's you. So if you feel like God's calling you to go and do speaking and stuff, he's blessing you. It's going to be blessed. Wow. You're not walking away from the blessing. It's you, not the ministry. It's you. That was so huge for me. And that's what he said. He goes, so what do you want to do? What do you feel like God's asking you to do? And instantaneously, I knew I'm, I'm supposed to start doing this speaking stuff. So Linda and I were both in that zone. Like it, we wanted to do what God wanted for us as a family. And Linda, especially during that time with our kids, she always felt like her calling in that ministry was to, she always called it like to be like my, my backbone, not because I was weak, but to give me strength uh, as we press forward in ministry, like to not feel like there was a pull and a weakness at home. Cause that for real is such a detrimental reality yeah. for so many couples where they are not united in ministry. Yep. So Linda was not threatened by my public persona and my traveling. She was a hundred percent behind. And that strengthened me to move forward, knowing I'm not destroying my life and my family by doing this ministry. But in the same, in the same way, I was super sensitive to her, you know, as she expressed where she was at and what she needed. And it was that complementarity. And now we're pretty lucky because both of us, get the chance to travel and do ministry together a lot more now, but she still has that. I mean, she still has her own independent journey that she's exploring and together we're complementing and strengthening one another. So I get the chance to kind of in a way be her backbone and backbone and support. Yeah. She's getting her master's in counseling and she's been, she's certified in spiritual direction. And I mean, she's just such an amazing gift in so many ways to people that I'll never be. So, yeah. You know, I think that that's kind of how we approach all decisions. We just talk it out together. What do we feel like God's asking us to do? Are we? Do we feel peace about it? And we recognize the way that that ministry is today might modify and change tomorrow. As long as we're in agreement, we're good to go. Yeah, I love that. Um, it, it has been really cool to see that, like, in your guys' relationship and your life, like, watching you guys online, knowing you, like, just... It, it was, I remember when we first met, it was like you were doing your thing and, you know, you could see how much that Linda supported you. And that was so cool to see that, um, especially as a young married couple. And you and I started to kind of hang out and we came over for some of your ministry things you were doing at your house, getting to see your guys' relationship was great. But then over the years now, especially, it's been great to see how much like Linda's really been diving into ministry with you. Um, we just had that uh, event you guys spoke at for the vocations picnic here in the diocese, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was pretty amazing. And it's just cool to see you guys as a, as a married couple, just sharing your vocation with, with others, your family with others um, and your life. It's been pretty cool to see that you guys. Working awesome. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think for us, we, we look at it like an adventure. Uh, we're on a pretty amazing adventure. 
but in it all, we really wanted to, to do uh, what we could to be a blessing to, you know, whomever the Lord might put before us. And so, I mean, I think we love working together and that's such an amazing like opportunity that a lot of couples don't, don't have because one yeah. might be super shy and apprehensive about, about public speaking and the other might love it. And for us, it just, you know, it works really well together, but you know, the truth is, is that, um, I think we're both pretty driven and content creators anyways. So that works super well for what we're doing. Um, if you were to say, Hey, why don't you come and fix my bathroom? Uh, I, you're going to want to call somebody. I don't have that skill set. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of know what we're, what we're good at, but you know, it might change and modify. I mean, who knows? I mean, I've, I still, I teach a little bit. I've taught at a couple of universities and, you know, with Linda's degree, she'd be able to teach at a university. We've often dreamed about, well, maybe one day we'll end up in England and we'll teach somewhere uh, a little bit on the side and have a small little cottage and walk down and get our, our bread and our vegetables. And, you know, that's our little life as old people. But, uh, you know, so so we're still open to adventure and the possibilities of how ministry can be and look. And we're certainly... Uh, okay with with whatever but i i'll probably need a good push though from the lord so <laughs> which he seems to to know i love that and, you know and i think what was really cool that you said too um was the the idea of god's blessing you he's not blessing the ministry oh yeah you know i think so often we can identify with our ministry and put our value in the fact that you know oh this ministry is what i do and and this is the thing but it's nice to hear you say that and kind of get that understanding of it's actually your ministry is just a part of it, what's flowing from you because god's blessing you as his his son or daughter um right. you know that that's a good perspective to have what what helped you to really just understand that because i think that's something i've struggled with personally like i've really you know it's it's been like a, a struggle mentally just like whenever i transition to maybe a new parish or something to like get out of the you know that was what i was doing or the youth minister or whatever it was that i was doing you know to identify as that and and to really just focus on i'm a son how did you get to that point well, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think I'm still probably learning about that. Ultimately, you know, there's a couple of cliche phrases that we use a lot. One is, you know, you can't give what you don't have. So in some ways, the idea of ministry, uh, I, if, if I'm growing spiritually, I feel like I have something to give in whatever platform I'm going to be invited into. So maybe yeah. it, maybe it's in the teaching and I'm creating a class, you know, so as long as I'm really growing in that topic, then I have something to say, I'll be okay. Same with speaking. So there were at times early in my ministry career where I realized I have to go back to the same place again and again and again. So that means I got to come up with new content. So that was a huge deal for me, which meant I need to be growing because what I'm giving people is not just information. I mean, it's, this is stuff that's transforming me. And so if I don't have a faith life, I'm, I'm doomed here when it comes to this, this role as a minister. I mean, it might be the same story, but I'm going to tell it differently because of what God's doing in that crowd and what he's doing in me. So, right. you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I have to remember one 
God, I mean, I, I think I'm reducing life down to, to this simple thing. I mean, it's obviously love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, all that. And then love your neighbors yourself. But I mean, I think it's like that it's, I, this life for me is an opportunity for, for me to let God love me so that I can love the people he gives to me. Like, that's it. Like I'm gonna, and, and, and that to me is the identity. Like, so I am a beloved son, child of God, and I am meant to be that love to whomever I meet. And I'm telling you, there are good days and bad days with the second part for me. Uh, you know, I just let the dumbest things cause me to unhinge, you know, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and get frustrated. And there are good days and bad days when it comes to letting him love me too, because I, I, I'm easily distracted or I'm struggling or frustrated or, uh, you know, wrapped up in self-loathing. And, and so, I mean, uh, that's a round way of saying it, but simply put, the identification deal has to first be that with God. <clears throat> then I may or may not be a youth minister. I may or may not be a diocesan director. I may or may not be a professor or a whatever. But at the end of the day, I am a child of God. I am invited into you know the embrace of that God and meant to embrace and love those that God puts in my presence. So the, the, the title might change from year to year. But who I am is, is not. But on a real practical level, I usually will say this. <clears throat> you cannot sacrifice your marriage on the altar of ministry. Right. You can't. You cannot sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. So not to be weird about it, but God can get somebody else to, you know, whatever, do that, that job. You're not there because you're the only person that can do that job. Right. Please. There's so many other people who would be better at that job, right? That's a, that's a fact for me too. Like, why are you having me? You should definitely have somebody else. They are way better. But God is not using or putting me in a position because I'm the best that's ever done that job. He's going to do that for two reasons. One, because he loves me and he wants me to experience his love in a very unique way. And two, he loves those people. And is going to give them an experience of his love through me in a very unique way. And that, like, that's it. And so it might change next year. It might be somebody else. But it's always going to be God's love is intentionally at work. And, and I kind of think that's pretty exciting because ultimately it frees me up in a way to not have to be freaking out about, is this the perfect talk? Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. Just let God do his work. Yeah. And trust yeah. it. No, I love that. Um, so, you, you know, here in the diocese, since you came to town, I think you've really been a, just a great leader here in the diocese as a whole, but, you know, in general, in the church, I think you're a, a great leader. Where, where does that come from? What's uh, been like your growth in leadership for you personally? What's that journey been like for you growing in leadership? And, and what would you give as advice to people who are trying to lead in the church? That's a funny, that's a funny question. I don't know if I would have even thought that I would be seen as a leader in, in this diocese, but that, that's a very kind thing to say when it comes to leadership. Uh, I do think that servant leadership is probably, is probably a big deal, far more a big of a deal than, 
than we give it credit for. Look, I'm probably not the best person about picking everybody's plates up after we get done eating, <laughs> you know, or, or I'm not the last person sweeping up the floor. I mean, those people are like ultimately heroes in so many ways as they serve without ever being acknowledged or, or lifted up yeah. the way I think, again, it's a unique, the way I'm going to do leadership is going to be different than the way that you will, or that somebody else will. And that's okay. So I'm, it would be weird for me to try and do uh, leadership as, uh, you know, as for example, pastor, you know, site, father site or, or father Solentano or father O'Connor, whatever, like they're, they're in positions and in roles where the leadership and the way that it's expressed is different. But seriously, at the end of the day, there are some qualities every leader needs to have, I think. And one of them is vulnerability and approachability, uh, in, in, uh, authenticity, integrity. Like, so everybody can spot a phony. Yeah. The last thing I need, and not to be weird about it, the last thing I need is some priest creating, you know, some sort of like, <laughs> you know, TikTok channel to try to become viral. You know, <laughs> what, I, what I need a priest for is to be there when I'm freaking falling apart in the sacrament of reconciliation, offering me the sacraments in the, in the Eucharist or the anointing of the sick. Like, I'm not looking for a famous person to lead the way when it comes to ministry. What I'm looking for is someone who loves me who is not judging me and who is really wanting to come alongside, which is what the word encourage means to come alongside and says, I, I want to walk with you closer to Jesus, you know, today, let's try this together today. So when it comes to leadership, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. I don't resent, by the way, priests that are maybe have a platform on social media. Thanks be to God. I mean, St. Maximum Colby is one of my all time favorite saints. And I guarantee you, if you were here today, you'd probably have one of the coolest, you know, whatever, you know, media platforms ever. But I guarantee you he would be far more humble and far more willing to be vulnerable and a person of integrity and authentic than than a lot of the people that are out there, My, you know, myself included. I mean, I, I have to I'm always pressing myself to ask the question, but what is the real motivation behind, you know, what I'm saying and doing? So, look, that's it. At the end of the day, leadership is truly I think a person offering themselves to another person saying, I want to walk with you for as long as you'll allow me to, and to try and offer you what aid or assistance I can and, and am able to. And if you choose to be done with me at a certain point, I, I'm cheering you on. Yeah. You know, it, it is just loving people is, is what leadership really is. It's not the bullhorn and there's not, you don't have to have a lot of words to be a great leader. It's just literally, you know, let's watch where you're walking. Yeah. You know, and how many times did you break your ankle along the way? You know, like let's avoid that. No, I love that. You know, you, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit, like there's this sense of sometimes in, especially in the speaking world, there's a sense of like celebrity or Catholic celebrity. How, how can you think we, how do you think we could go about like healing that? Because I think that's something that we need to avoid. And I think that's something that like you do a really good job of like there, I'm sure there's opportunity for that to kind of be a draw or a thing for you with all the different ministry things you're doing and student bill conferences and whatnot. But I don't think that you ever will. I don't see this in you. You do not play into that at all. 
um, which, you know, I commend you for. How, how can we heal that? Because I just think that that's something that's very present right now, especially in youth ministry. I see it a lot. How do you think we go about healing it? <laughs> well, maybe because I've been doing this so long, I just want you to know that every single famous person that's out there is a freaking train wreck. They are. <laughs> So, so we need to stop pretending that somebody who's doing ministry is like some sort of awesome, epic, holy celebrity that never has any issues. It's baloney. Uh, all of these guys and gals out there are messy, broken people, just like everybody else. Okay. Right. But it's exactly what I was saying earlier with regards to the only reason I think I'm being asked to come to a place. is not because I'm a better speaker than anyone else. It's not, this right. is not what, this is not what it can. It, is not what it's supposed to be about. I think that the Lord opens the doors for me to go places, maybe because uh, I'm so broken on a regular basis that, that I, I have to cling to Jesus because otherwise I'm so lost. And, and I, I think that the Lord wants people to see what it can look like for God's love to be, so evident in such a messy person you know we used to always joke and tell people we we love people coming over to our house to visit because linda wanted to show and i wanted to show guests uh that their house is not as messy as they thought it was you know <laughs> once they walk in the pageant house they they like well you are literally one empty applesauce container away from an episode of hoarders like this, this is a problem here yeah so in some ways i i've often joked and said this to kids but you know adults but if god can use me he can use anybody so the idea of catholic celebrity is is really um it's going to happen it was certainly there even in the new testament when you know, like you know saint paul's trying to address that you know some of you are saying i'm of paul i'm of apollos you know, like, is Christ divided? He's not. So quit doing that, basically. Mm. But, but it's it's kind of a natural inclination. We are looking for someone to, uh, you know, in some ways to be responsible and to, you know, to be that leader like we just talked about. Yeah. But Jesus, he does show leadership very differently than, in fact, he wasn't applauded for it. Like, they wanted, they wanted that outspoken you know, gregarious leader who was going to bring them victory from, you know, Roman occupation, but, but Jesus isn't doing that. And uh, he's going to be, he's going to be the recipient of that kind of, you know, frustration as they begin to, you know, deny him, betray him, crucify him. It's going to happen to us as well as followers of Jesus. So the idea of a, a Catholic celebrity is to me, it's the great catastrophe because, because see, here's what it is. I think what's happened is that we want an idealized version of the faith. That's what we want. Mm -hmm. And so we, we put Catholic celebrities on a pedestal because we think they're fitting the preconceived idea of the idealized version. They're doing it. But, but once you start peeling away the layer, the reality is they're, they're, they need therapy they're struggling, you know, they're on medication or they're addicted to pornography or they're struggling with alcoholism or addiction in a, some form and fashion, or their marriage is falling apart. I can't even tell you how many people do ministry whose marriages have fallen apart 
on their second or third marriages. It's flipping unbelievable. And, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's an epidemic crisis, even in ministry. So, you know, the idealized Catholics, I'm telling you, you probably never going to see them because <laughs> yeah. they're so humble that they're, they're probably cleaning everybody's, you know, dishes is what's happening and sweeping the floor. I mean, I could get a little emotional about this, but I do think that there's something about this that at the end of the day, when we look at some of the greatest saints, we probably won't have known their names, but they were cleaning up our crap most of our life. Yeah. No, that's so true. No, and I, and I think you really do live live that out. And, I, you know, I, I want to thank you because I think, like, for me as a young youth minister getting into youth ministry and, do, you know, getting asked to do a lot of, you know, talks at different events early on, I think it was a draw for me to want to kind of go into that space. And it was initially for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. And I remember one time I was at an event with you that you were leading, I think, for a group of uh, kids that I was youth minister for. And I, and I said, to you, you know, you know, I think you do really like, you just do a great job. I was all excited, you know, just getting to know you. And I said something like, you know, you're really great at what you're doing. Blah, blah, blah. I was all excited. I remember you kind of like paused for a second and you said to me, you know, Nick, I, I just throw, I just throw like kerosene on the fire and light it. And then you go, <laughs> but, but you have to stay there and tend the fire. You're like, you're in there every day and, and day out, making sure that that flame stays lit. Um, and I remember that moment really, really changed me. It really changed me and moved me because it helped me like understand like the role that you had for that that job that you were getting asked and called into, and then the job and role that I had. Um, and I remember just thinking how beautiful that was. Like this, that that you know you are yeah you have this one moment where you're stoking the fire, um, and that's great and that's needed. But then there's somebody who needs to just tend that fire, keep putting logs on, keep it burning, and. You know, I, I remember that just really changing who I was early on. And thank God you said that to me because I I could have been drawn into like wanting to do this all for the wrong reasons. And that moment really changed my life. So I, I just want to thank you oh, for that. That's and awesome. I've really I've really seen that in you. Like you've really been a servant leader um, in your ministry over the years. And and so thank you for, for being here and being a witness. Um, What's funny is I think you said that more eloquently than I did, actually, but uh, that's very kind of you. You know, uh, it's a collaborative effort. So, I mean, we're all <laughs> in the words of high school musical. We're all in this together. We're, you know, I, I need, I need, I need the pastors and I need the, the youth leaders and I need the little old ladies praying the rosaries. I need, I need everyone else as well. It is the body image. And so, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do what they're doing. And when we, when we look at it like that, it does change things too, because uh, not any one is better than the other. And in fact, uh, we're sharing, we're all sharing in the fruit of that kind of harvest, that kind of ministry. Right. So uh, it's, it's in a journey to, it's an exciting and an op amazing opportunity to journey together uh, here in this diocese though. I, I appreciate you yeah. and what you are doing. Absolutely. And I appreciate you too. So we, we started all this talking about your love for books. You've got so many ratings on Goodreads. What's a book <laughs> that you, that you want to recommend to everyone that they read? Oh, well, on a spiritual 
on a spiritual level. I just we started with Jacques Philippe. I mean, I'm I can't you cannot go wrong with Jacques Philippe. So good. I just read uh, Searching for and Maintaining Peace, and it was like, oh yeah. Oh, we did so a book study on that at, at our parish. Oh, did and, you really? uh, yeah, we 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 love that book. It's so good. There That's a phenomenal. Yeah. It's so it's so good. There's something in that that like helped me so much. It was talking he was talking about like he was talking about falling into sin. And he said, like, a temptation is when we sin, we just instantly throw away our entire Catholic life, and we're not gonna be, you know, we're we're just losing all of our peace because we just fell into sin and we're you know a terrible person. He's like, Don't do that because Jesus loves you so much more and his mercy's there. So just maintain the peace. And just keep moving forward and just for, forget about the sin because Jesus just wants to love you and forgive you and run to the sacraments. And I remember that, like, that helped me so much uh, because I, I, you know, I fall into that. Don't we all fall into that? Like, you sin and you're just like, I am a terrible person. <laughs> I am done. Like, I am yeah. I'm over. And uh, that was so healing. I love, right. I, I love him. He's so I, I, and it's funny you bring that up because that actually is one of the great gifts of, of his areas of emphasis is the it, first of all it whatever you're doing if it robs you of peace that's a warning sign and uh my wife's super in the zone with that so that's a big deal for us but but also um just the idea of um how the enemy wants to cause you and actually i remember father mike schmidt once said this to me forever and ever and ever ago i had yeah. gone to confession with him uh, about something. And he said to me, you know, one of the great goals the enemy has is to, is to lead us into despair. Why? Because then we won't go to confession. Yeah. And, uh, and so ultimately the idea of the enemy, just telling you, you're so horrible. Look at you committing these repeated sins. You're struggling, blah, blah, blah. It's all for not. I like what Jacques Philippe is doing there because he's saying, you know, that's just a lie. Let it go. And God still loves you. You know, it says in scripture, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That idea is, is not just a cool idea. That's a fact. And then, yeah. you know, you're like, well, how do I just do that? And if I'm sinful and I've struggled, what, well, like what, how long aren't I supposed to have a period of basically self-flagellation and, and, you know, I'm, I'm angry, self-loathing, showing God. Cause my tendency sometimes we, I'm going to show you God how serious I am and how, and how, how much I recognize that that's horrible sin, but God doesn't, he's not looking for that. He already paid the price for that. He's, yeah. he's looking for us to receive and accept that mercy and move forward. And then if you need to go to confession, he's not waiting until you say the words of absolution before he loves you. He loves you even when you're a train wreck. That, that's a hard thing for people, myself included at times, to believe. <clears throat> I would say, though, um, it's funny because I just wanted to – I've been I've – been, uh, what happens is usually every year there's a saint that snags me, and I start reading a lot of their books. Mm. And uh, so, you know, last year I, I think I had mentioned it was, uh, you know, St. Francis and Claire. It was the end of last year that – uh, Charles de Ficald started snagging me and uh, I just kind of got addicted to him. And then even this year, and then he was canonized this year. Yeah. And the thing about this, this saint that is so awesome for me is that one, one, he was a military guy. He lived pretty, you know, crazily gave his life to God, wanted to become a, a you know, basically a religious ultimately wanted to live a hermit type of lifestyle and he's eventually martyred 
uh, in the middle of nowhere. He had no converts. He wrote no books. Basically, he had no, uh, you know, order that he started, you know, and saw come to fruition. And yet he's a saint. And, and I think that's the great example is that is that God's not looking for us to do all these things. He just wants to be with us. And that's enough. And then the overflow from that, it, he'll take care of that. So Charles de Foucault, I recommend him highly. Saint Foucault. I got to check him out. I, I really don't know much about him. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to write that name down and, uh, yeah. Some, the bishop mentioned him the other day too, at that event. So yeah, I thought that was, I, awesome. yeah. I remember you were, you were like, I'm, I'm going nuts. over this guy. <laughs> so said, no, I couldn't so. believe it. I couldn't believe he, I was like, I, I guess I'm not the only one who knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Um, so we've talked a lot now, you know, we're, talking all about your Catholic life. Now we're going to fast forward because we're going to get the whole scope of your life. Fast oh. forward, wicked, 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 wicked far. Boom. You're dead. Okay. I asked this to everybody. You're dead and you get to come back. And of course you're in heaven. So you're going to get, get to be a saint and uh, you're going to get to choose. Who are you the patron saint of? If you got to choose, you're the patron saint of what? Well, <laughs> I mean, there's so many things. I, I, I think. Let me just say it like this. Lord willing, when I get the chance to see Jesus, I would like him to say, "Chris, you made me laugh so hard. I had to catch my breath. Like I would like to be the patron saint of joy." I'm probably going to be the patron saint of putting my foot in my mouth, but I would like to be <laughs> the patron saint of, of joy. Uh, I just think <laughs> there's something about laughter and joy. And I think that we miss life if we just live it with such severity and such insane, intense seriousness. There's, um, I think there's something about life that God wanted us to really rejoice in. And I, I love, I just love being alive. So I'm hoping that that day will be a long time in the future. Cause I got lots of grandbabies I want to squeeze and take pictures of and kids to, to see, you know, come into their own and, and hopefully Lord willing ministry to, to be able to participate in. So I, it would be beautiful to be, a patron saint, but I, I, I maybe just to be a saint would be, would be so enough. <laughs> Even if nobody knew my name, that would be so enough. <laughs> That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Chris, for, for being here, for having this chat, you send a big thank you to Linda. You know, you both have really impacted me and my wife, you know, since we got to know both of you, you know, you guys have been a, a great like couple role model for us uh, since we were involved with your little bar ministry there. Um, and we really look up to you and a lot of, a lot of the things that we do are like, you know, what would the badges do? You know, you guys have a really been a good example to us, even from afar um, over the years. So thank you so much for, for everything you guys are doing in ministry. Um, where can everybody find you? Well, yeah, good question. So um, yeah, usually Chris M. Paget is Twitter. 
And, uh, I, you know, I don't, Chris Paget friend, I think is Facebook. I don't really, I'm very horrible about all of these, these things, but I, I do, I do a lot of stuff on Goodreads, which I don't, I don't even know what that's called. I, I maybe, you know what I'm called. I think, yeah. Cause I had it up here. You're like the, the bookaholic. That's a, that's a great, that's a great handle too. The bookaholic. That's such a good handle. Check out him on Goodreads. He's got 916 ratings. <laughs> you want to read you, you got your your reading list set when you go to the chris paget's bookaholic page <laughs> listen I, yeah and i'm telling you if anybody's got good book recommendations i'm i'm all for it and they can always send me their favorite book to check out too so there's there's that thank you nick though it was a blessing and uh you know ultimately um what an honor to like i said before collaborate in ministry with you here in the diocese but Let's keep each other in prayer. I'm cheering you guys on. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Chris. And we'll see you in another episode of This Catholic Life. Don't you like that music, Chris? You just makes you want to dance, Art. right? Super. I'm, uh -huh. I'm about to rap. <laughs> uh, take it easy, everyone. Nice.